Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, I would normally say, how's it going this week? Except that we've been talking every day this week as listeners. I know. know. Yeah. Because we've been streaming in place, uh, as everyone knows from their feed. Because <laughs> I'm just like, well, I hope people are okay with this. You're getting another like half hour episode every day. Um, <laughs> hopefully people are okay with that. The, the, I've been keeping them as small as I can, like size-wise, in case people have data limits and things. Sure. Um, so like, there's no chaptering or any of that stuff in, in there. But it's been really fun talking Lucifer with you and Allison every day. It has been. It's been a nice little... like. And Allison mentioned it in this week's episode. It's been a nice little sort of break in the day of, all right, I have the next 30 minutes. I'm going to go talk about Lucifer. And it's become sort of like a highlight of my afternoon, especially since I do like two hours worth of uh, work for my job. And by work, I mean like some professional development classes that they're paying us to take um, while my partner is working the all day from home so i have to find ways to occupy myself so that's that's what i've been working on and as i'm saying this i realized i told her i was going to do something for her while she ran an errand earlier today and i just played video games so we need to wrap this up quick so i can do the thing i'm I'm supposed to do no no no, it's fine (laughs) we'll be okay it's one of those like well i've cleaned everything what can i what am i doing next kind of situations you say that, but she, she's joked about, well, if you run out of things to do, you can just clean the baseboards. And I just was like, that just feels like busy work. You're just trying to keep me busy. <laughs> and I appreciate that. However, That's not I happening. know that doesn't serve a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm so excited because next week is spring break. Um, and so I, for the first time in my professional career, I'm taking spring break off of teaching, which means okay. that I'm... I'm only teaching makeup lessons, so I'm only teaching about two hours a day uh, and not my normal teaching load, which doesn't sound like spring break to other more rational people. Um, but to me, I'm very excited because it, it means I'm going to next week have more time to get caught up on all of the other teaching work that I'm behind on, which I assume will take most of the week. But then... In, and this is a big shift for me. Instead of doing all those recital videos I was going to spend all week next week doing, I think instead I'm going to clean my desk because I'm spending a lot more time nice. on my desk mm-hmm. it, it, right now and, and using it a lot more for all my teaching remotely. And like my piles are no longer orderly, Noel. They're just stacks. There's stacks of paper. They are not neatly organized piles where like every stack of paper then does a 90 degree shift and it's the next topic of things I need to file away. Anyways, this is way too much of a peek behind the curtain, but I'm very excited that I think next week I will be able to clean. Ooh. I'm I'm excited for you. Yeah. You can, I would say you can come here and clean the baseboards, but we're just, we won't allow you inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) That would defeat so much of the purpose. Oh, man, not to mention the flight to get there. No, thank you. I stay away from O'Hare Airport in the current situation. On normal days. (laughs) Really, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, as we already mentioned, you know, we've been talking every day with friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, about Lucifer. Check the feed for those if you'd like. Um, If you are a listener, you can check out our daily Zoom that we've been doing. If you would like to watch us discuss it, we... 
we're going to be tamping down on security on that because we had a negative Zoom experience today with randos who are not cool. <laughs> that our actual listeners who show up to, to listen to us talk about this for are cool. So thank you guys for being not super gross and terrible uh, like the rest of the internet is. Um, but what that means, <laughs> so, so that is, as you know, we'll see what happens with that next week. It might just become a reach out if you want the link kind of situation. Yeah. It probably may, but also my partner said that you can just disable screen share even before they enter the room. See, yeah, I, don't, I didn't even know that was a thing that that yeah. one could do. So yeah. I clearly, because I learned how to to disable their cameras and their and their um and their mics before they entered the room, but mm-hmm. apparently they can tur- indeed turn them back on, which I thought I had set so they couldn't. I was pretty sure I saved it so they couldn't, which is why I have to invite you guys to put yours on. Anyways, I'm still new to Zoom. I'm figuring it all out. By by Monday, when we start up again, it should be all sorted. But we will see. Um, this week, we're talking about Star Trek Picard, which wrapped up its season at today as we record with its finale. So we're going to look back on, on this first season, how it's been going. Um, lots of thoughts on that. But now we have a, a few uh, this week in distancing. Um, happy <laughs> stories. So first of all, did you see this Doctor Who thing that that happened this week? I did. I actually did watch it because I knew we'd end up talking about it. So. <laughs> It was so lovely. For those who don't know, Doctor Who, the the Twitter feed, um, BBC put out uh, a short video um, from from Jodie Whittaker, um, her in character with a dispatch to the distressed humans out there. Um, And it was just absolutely lovely, beautifully in character, very like well, well performed and written and everything and just, you know, very good length. So yeah, it I I appreciate it. It was very like wheelhouse Kate content. No, and it's much better than like a bunch of celebrities singing Imagine. Mm-hmm. Um like it it felt purposeful. <laughs> I also enjoyed the uh, clip of the thick of it that was making the rounds of Malcolm mm-hmm. Tucker telling everyone to shut it the fuck down because they're in lockdown. <laughs> um yes, that's a different kind of thing cuz cuz um Peter Capaldi put out a quick video i saw as well but i was hoping it would be more in the malcolm tucker stay the fuck inside situation but i don't think he can do that with a clear conscience at this point because to so many children he is the doctor yeah and he's, he's right. very aware of this so you know we have to go to the thick of it to get our malcolm tucker fix in these moments um see we also had south side bonnie so for those of you who don't know there's this woman who is from the south side of Chicago. Her name is Bonnie. And she had an interaction with some people at a grocery store. And um, it's delightful. She's talking about it in her car. She's clearly not. Ha- she's clearly incensed at this interaction. It pisses her off. And just at, when she goes, little do they know, I'm from Chicago. I was like, bitch, I'm from Chicago. Which is, of course, one of the iconic, iconic sentences from Drag Race. Um, so so it was just like a nice little bit of Southside connection that I'm sure this very nice and kindly 75-year-old um, mom and potentially grandma has no idea that she <laughs> accidentally quoted Drag Race. But um, I, I enjoyed it. So I will have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, now, did you know about this Christian Siriano thing? No. Yes, I did know about the Christian Siriano thing of um, him and his team working to make masks for um, New York State. 
And how many have they made so far? In the first three days, they've made a thousand masks. And I think they're all, they might also be doing other things, but I, like gowns and stuff, like other mm-hmm. PPE. But, um, and, and it, I don't know if it, I don't think it's probably medical grade, but it's just still better than right. nothing, you know? Um, but as someone who, like, my mom sews and is a fantastic sewer and tailor, um, and she's made some as well. Um, and she's doing them, doing a good job with them. And so I can have seen how long it takes to make one well. And so the fact that, uh, Siriano and his team have made a thousand in three days is insane. It is ridiculous. That is so many. <laughs> and the, the, uh, Siriano put up a picture, um, on Twitter of him and his two of his, uh, colleagues in their studio. And the stations are spaced apart, right? So they're social distancing. Um, but, uh, they're, they're clearly, as you would expect from a fashion designer, well-made masks, like he's putting out quality content, like quality materials, quality um, uh, masks to send to the hospitals. And this is something that was requested by uh, the the governor of New York. So yeah, that's just really impressive. And, and, you know, since there's that TV connection with, um, with Project Runway, I, I, I felt like that was a good, like positive while we're all social distancing, look at these people getting shit done kind of story. So I wanted to share. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's very nice. So I'm, I'm glad that they have the resources and the time and the willingness to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then my last one here for this week in, in, in distancing, because last week we, I mentioned the penguins and I should have linked it, but I didn't this time. I will. Uh, there's an adorable dog doing yoga in Italian. His, his human is, is saying the instructions, uh, in Italian. And it's, it's just very like chill. It's like a minute and a half long clip. It's like, okay, now breathe and let's stretch back into the left so it's like it's very soothing <laughs> and what i enjoy is that the human is like kind of half cut off on the frame and the dog is right in the middle so his human knows where the primo content is and uh or her human i don't know i don't know the gender of the dog um and and just like like no clearly the focus is on this adorable adorable small dog who is doing yoga uh in in these different poses and stretching this way and stretching that way and it's just very soothing so if you could use a soothing video click the link uh and enjoy Uh, i really feel like these these memes and these like uh the things that are getting shared around like that have actually actively been a really positive part of my experience during social distancing and, you know, stay at home and everything. Um, have you found that as well? Uh, it has been a little bit. Um, it just sort of depends on the day and like the hour. Um, cause sometimes like it'll be, it'll be really helpful and then it'll be helpful. And then it'll just like kind of trigger a little bit of a spiral, of like oh right all of this is bad and here's why it's bad and just like i get kind of caught in like a bad feedback loop of it even if the thing that triggered it was a good thing but my brain is my brain and so it's been good but at the same time sometimes i just like it just kind of gets me blah a little bit like um, like with the penguins, like I, I really like the penguin videos that were especially circulating last week, but then I was just like, but can we, we can't give penguins Corona, right? Can we, can they get COVID? <laughs> yeah. 
it's yep. funny. Like it's a it's a funny thing to ask, but then in my brain it becomes like an actual issue of are we putting these very sweet penguins at risk by having them interact with humans this is Um, why i was so ridiculously relieved when like i don't have a dog but when it was like announced no apparently dogs can't get this i was so happy right and then like three days later the who went uh maybe we were wrong about that and we don't know why did you tell me that no i know no because it's a thing that we have to worry about in my household of whether or not either of our pets can get it um, if one of us contracts it. So, yeah. Okay. Everything's awful. Sorry, Kate. Uh, yeah. Go watch the dog do okay. yoga, I guess. Sorry. I'm going to go watch that dog do yoga, and everyone else is going to listen to some music. And then we're going to talk about TV, and then we're going to talk about Picard. Okay, everybody take some deep breaths. Watch an adorable dog. Stretch to the left and stretch to the right and we'll be right back after this This week in comedy and reality, we're going to kick things off with a little Full Frontal with Samantha Bee and Late Night with Seth Meyers talk. Um, then we'll go to the One Day at a Time premiere, Checking Boxes, before we move over to Shit's Creek and The Pitch and Brooklyn Nine-Nine Dillman. And then we'll round things out with Drag Race, The Ball Ball. Oh, tear for Rock'em Sakura. Um, anyways, so first up is Full Frontal with Samantha Bee and Late Night with Seth Meyers. Now, both of these shows um, have gone to filming at home and putting out content that way. And I thought that particularly, we talked about this last time, but Full Frontal works really well. The style Bee's approach um, on the show is very suited to this situation. So the fact, you, you know, her husband, Jason Jones, is working the camera and they have some woods <laughs> I guess on their property or near their property that they can use to film. So it's not just, you know, there's a little more visual interest, which helps. Um, but I thought this worked really well. And and similarly to last time they had a can segment that I'm guessing just like didn't make the cut, which is why they didn't air it earlier um, that they were able to slide it in here as well. And, you know, furries talking about, you know, infiltration by Nazis in their movement, I didn't know that was happening, and I thought this was a uh, eye-opening and entertaining installment. So, yeah, I think it really really works for them. It does, and I think that the sense of irreverence that B that Full Frontal Show has works kind of well with this, including down to like the closing credits where you see that she's also enlisted her 
children as crew. Um, mm-hmm. So you see one of her kids uh, with like the lighting equipment and another one like breaking down some stuff, but also like throwing an empty can <laughs> into the woods. I, I have to assume that they picked it back up. But I think that that entire sort of experience, I think just lends it that kind of scrappiness that I kind of enjoy. Um, that I think just works well. But yes, the can segment that they had with the furry convention and dealing with both an issue of empathy, but also with this concept of the infiltration, which is something I was actually aware of, uh, that I liked it. And it was a good sort of thing to have like in a back pocket for this, this sort of a, um, this sort of a, this sort of, uh, incident in which you need to be able to fill time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Her trying to high do a high five with that doctor. was one of the funniest (laughs) things I saw this week. Kate, it was just the best <laughs> that they were both just wrong on both sides. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and and that I mean it had to be a very intentional. They like he was trying to actually do it, and she yeah. she was she was going for the funny, <laughs> and I'm all there for that. Yeah, it was a fun segment, and I appreciated having like this blend of like it's it, was, it felt like a little window to like what we were all talking about two weeks ago and it's like almost quaint it's like remember when we were worried about you know the the election and and you know i'm sure that will stir back up very soon i'm sure there will be a lot more discussion of that kind of stuff as people settle into shelter at home and as the reality of what the country is facing with coronavirus becomes more apparent to those who for whatever reason have not fully engaged with it yet um but for right now, it just it was a it was a interesting and funny and um, oddly soothing segment. I thought. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, though I am finding the Seth Meyer segments to also be very soothing in mm. the fact that he just seems sort of vaguely stressed out by all of this. <laughs> um, and that it's leaking into, like, the monologue, it's leaking into the closer look, um, and just, like, I like that aspect of it, particularly, like, in, yes, today's closer look, in which we get, like, an extended riff of, do you know how hard it is to tell a four-year-old that you have to go do a video? It sounds like a lie that you're telling so that daddy can go drink in the garage, uh, but it's just... It's that kind of thing that I think is really, really funny, um, but also just like there's a looseness, a stressed out looseness almost to what they're doing over on Late Night that I'm really, really enjoying. But I think that the other thing that has been that was a thing that he mentioned last week, but is very often throughout a lot of these is that (laughs) he has been very much calling out and giving props to all the 14-year-olds who do YouTube videos that are making all the late-night shows look awful. Um, (laughs) Like, just horribly unprofessional and just ridiculous in their bad resolution, bad lighting, bad cameras, and all this kind of stuff. And yet, these people who do this, like, semi-professionally or just outright professionally on YouTube look super polished, look great. And Myers makes a really great joke about this in regards to the fact that you can tell I'm, I look 42 because I'm doing my own makeup finally after watching a tutorial about how to do makeup on YouTube from a 15-year-old. <laughs> And it's just like, oh, this is all very good. And I need more of this self-reflexive type of deal with 
uh, sort of how we're coping with this because it provides a little bit of a release valve for me. Um, so I've been enjoying like the Seth Meyers stuff a lot. How have you been responding to it? Oh yeah, it's been great. I'm really glad that they're back. Um, and not just closer looks, but just these other, these other segments as well. I really enjoy this joke. Seth can't tell. And, uh, you know, I I just need them to like call up some YouTubers, right? Like, right. Call yeah. Lily Singh. She will <laughs> hook you up. <laughs> well, that's that's the wild thing to me is that Lily Singh's show hasn't posted anything, and I was just like, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, just like there, there have got to be consult, I, and I know it's good that they're shouting that out, and I'm sure that there are people that are working on it. But honestly, yes. guys, Google it. How to set yeah. up your own YouTubing system. Like, you can all afford to buy a good webcam and like right. an external mic. Like, it's not hard. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I look forward to seeing, depending on how long we're in this situation, um, how the video quality adjusts over time. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, but, but I absolutely agree that looseness and that, uh, uh, self-awareness of these videos, it makes them, like you were saying, super relatable and makes them, uh, very soothing and, uh, gives us a vibe and an energy of we're all in this together. We're doing yes. our best. Thanks for watching. We hope we're making your day better. Yay. <laughs> right. Um, and that is exactly the right tone, I think, for these kinds of shows to be setting right now. It absolutely is. And I it just, it feels sort of good to kind of watch that scrappiness and that, uh, that, that camaraderie sort of sense that comes through it. And, and so I really, really like that aspect of it. And yeah, I'm really curious about what's going to happen, particularly like next week as this kind of becomes these shows the new normal. Mm -hmm. Well, even just like, the the adjustment we saw this week with <laughs> within the second day of like and we're not filming in the hallway anymore because I have been told that that is a thoroughfare so now I'm in a different room <laughs> and I don't want to look like a ghost in a library anymore <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's it's it's really it's it's charming it's it's fun so um speaking yeah. of charming and fun let's move over to one day at a time which had a season premiere on pop checking boxes and this uh centers on well the the driving action is ray romano showing up as a census taker and that prompts some of the characters to examine and reflect on some choices in their life and where they're at um and i thought this was okay but yeah. um it, it apparently did well in the ratings which it makes me very very happy uh, it just felt it wasn't nearly as strong as most of their episodes to me. And I felt like it was because it was saddled with meet all of our characters again. And, and, and like, let's have them rattle off these traits about themselves and we'll put it in the context of the census. So there's kind of a reason for it. Um, but mostly because we don't trust that the people who are watching this will have ever seen the show before. So hopefully with that out of the way it can get back to some more interesting um, and nuanced character stuff in the next episode. It was, it, I felt like I was watching an early season one episode, which for one day for other shows is a compliment to be compared to one day at a time, early season one, but for one day at a time, that's not great because the, the show got a lot stronger for me as it continued in that first season. Yeah. It's a very sort of perfunctory episode. Like you said, of it has a lot of responsibility to, introduce and sell itself to an audience that 
maybe didn't watch it on Netflix. And I, 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 I understand. And to a certain degree, I even appreciate that impulse and I get it and I respect it because you need to introduce the show in a way of like, so that you can do stuff next week. That isn't this, that is more of a piece of what your show typically is. And you can't do that if you're if your audience is like, wait, who are any of these people? And I need an explanation. And I, I, I get it. So I like that. I like the idea of it being within the census provides a justification, but it also provides still a one day at a time ask message of the census is important. Do not get concerned about the census. Do the census. And I really, really like that. And I think that's a really important thing. And mentioning, making sure to mention the citizenship thing is also really, really important. So I think that there are elements of what the, the ethos, there are elements of the show's ethos within that opening bit that I think are really important. So I'm willing to give the episode like a pass almost mm-hmm. of like, this is still pretty, there's still good funny bits like watching Justine Machado cradle a plate of salad because <laughs> it has a half naked Max on it. I'm okay with everything else in the episode <laughs> if you give me that joke and I got that joke. So I'm perfectly okay with it. It's Next week, where I'm just like, all right, are we going to discuss Cuba? Are we going to discuss Schneider's alcoholism? Like, where's, where's, where are we? What's, what's next week? So that's sort of like where I am of like, this is a bye week. You get this. It works well, but I need you to sort of like be ready to dive back into everything else. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And don't think I'm going to be distracted by, uh, the, by the new girlfriend. That's not enough <laughs> to, to make me forget all the other things that were big cliffhangers. So hopefully we'll get more of that next week. Um, speaking of cliffhangers over in Schitt's Creek, we have the pitch and this is the last episode before our two part fin- uh, series finale for the show. And I feel like they're setting up a pretty clear, right? With this one, they're setting a pretty clear dynamic where we're going to have Dave and Patrick stay. And we're going to have Alexis go. And I'm guessing the Roses are going to split their time. Um, but but the, the notion of change and dramatic change for the Rose family, whether it's through, you know, leaving because of the successful business venture or through choosing not to leave um, for some of the characters, um, I think is going to be... It's, it's, it has me even more intrigued and excited for the finale because that's the kind of thing I want in a series finale is I want, you know, some sense of closure, some sense of like the end to a chapter. Um, and yeah, I feel like that I get, I get the sense that that's coming and I'm excited for it. Yes, I am too. I think that a lot of what makes this episode really work for me is Johnny's presentation uh, to the would, would have been investors of, I wouldn't have traded, he says he, that I wouldn't have traded anything for the time I had in this motel. And you get that contrasted with Moira's packing and her positive vibes, not a prayer circle, prayer circle, (laughs) of we're going to get out of this hellhole, basically, at long last. And that, those two things within the same episode, I think are really kind of lovely in both these this family has changed and grown but at the same time 
all of them want out, with the exception, of, I think, of Johnny, who I think is actually quite happy mm-hmm. in Shit's Creek, and because of what he's building, basically, with Stevie and with Roland, who gets a really kind of saving grace kind of note in this episode um, that I really, really liked. Um, so I liked those two elements sort of being put together. But the other thing that I like about that thread is the way in which for the other roses, this is both a, this is a survival, but also a way out for them. But Jocelyn gets that line of how very important this is for her livelihood of someone who's going to stay here. And I think that that's just a really good through line about the importance of this deal across the board for these characters, but in so many little different ways. And I like that the show hasn't lost sight of Jocelyn and Roland's like status, even if it has lost sight of their child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, children. Let's not. Yeah, know. children. Forgive well, much doesn't count (laughs) Um, but yes no your points yeah it's lost sight of it but i think that 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 comment that's almost the throwaway line because they cut from it so fast but that it's there at all makes me very very happy yeah i think even i mean it's easy for johnny to come off well and moira to come off poorly here but i think it's an important thing to understand and i think Mm -hmm. the show does but doesn't always demonstrate this as well as it could and should that it's easy for johnny to be happy here because he's got a job he enjoys he's he's building something and when if moira is able to keep acting and keep working and build her career she could be absolutely be happy here as well if she can then go do her life do or you know do with her time what she has always wanted to do and what she has until recently been able to do. So, you know, and her, what she does is location dependent, you know? So, so I think that a little more empathy for her would be good. And I'm assuming that that is coming because she, she does not come off well in these recent episodes. Um, But if, if, there is a element of the show that I am concerned for. It is never its empathy. So I'm assuming that kind of thing, you know, a little moment, it would only take one small moment for the, to hit that note with that character. I'm assuming that that is coming. Um, and I do think that the balance that we get here between all the different characters, reactions and everything works well. And, and, you know, I'm like we said already, I'm very excited for the finale. And even though I'm going to miss it, going to miss it when it's gone. Well, it's okay because you know what? Next week, Kim's Convenience comes back on Netflix, Kate. So you, you're covered. You've <gasps> got so it covered. Excited. Very excited. Okay, next up, we have Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Dillman, or J.K. Simmons, shows up and is hilarious. And that's all you need to know. Well, the other thing that you need to know is that this episode was directed by Kara Sedgwick. Um, oh, that's fun. Right, which I was just like, oh, Kara Sedgwick directed that ep- this episode. That's fun. And then J.K. Simmons shows up, and I'm just like, oh, it's a closer reunion. <laughs> um, but no, this is, I mean, it's really, you're just here for J.K. Simmons' performance, um, both as Dillman, the best detective that Holt has ever worked with, and then Dillman's clothes, which are 
just great. And then the reveal that he's working at the yarn barn. Um, and it's just, it's very, very good. But it's also just a good Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode in that we get a heisty sort of mystery type of thing within the confines of the of the office. And those are always just really delightful. And I think everyone gets a little moment here that shines really, really well from Rosa's recitation of everything that's happening in the soap opera that she's watching on the DL to just the fact that Scully, the actor who plays Scully was just in that, in that red confetti glimmer makeup the entire episode and just, the man deserves a special achievement Emmy just for that, I feel like, because that just had to be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they've done a good job balancing Hitchcock and Scully this season. I feel like um they're sometimes they were a little over featured, but these last couple episodes have I think really hit that just enough kind of level. What how do you feel yeah. about that? Yeah, no, I think it's worked really well. Like, I, th- I think giving them like a like a vending machine episode like they had last week uh, is very much in their wheelhouse. And I think that this episode also works well in that. Yes, no, he would think that it was a box, and that he would look at a box and think, "Oh, there's cookies in there," and everyone just accepts that because mm-hmm. that's where we are now. Yeah, and I think that that works really, really well. And I, so I think it. I think it's a, they are hitting like a I think a good balance and they're remembering how those characters sort of function best I think now mm-hmm. and yeah so I think it's working out okay for them. It's been a really good run for nine. Yes, it has. Yeah, they're this season's been pretty strong. Yeah. Well, let's move to our last episode for the week in comedy and reality, and that is Drag Race and the Ball Ball. So they have. I mean, it used to be the ball was like you know around the midpoint of the season. Then uh-huh. last year they had their spooky, their Halloween themed ball earlier on. There were like 11 Queens and now 12 Queens, three looks each 36 looks on the runway. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but first up we had the mini challenge with the bees. I thought this was delightful. I really enjoyed it. I thought they balanced the, the social messaging and the environmental ecological messaging uh with this campiness really well no one asked RuPaul about fracking though <laughs> yeah no don't do it but also <laughs> someone please do it because I have a lot of questions yeah um but but I so I really enjoyed that challenge I like the shade of like doing the record scratch when Cherry starts dancing um yeah I thought it was fun any thoughts on the mini challenge no I think the mini I think the mini challenge was really delightful um I really liked Aiden's sad clown bee makeup a mm-hmm. lot. I thought it was really both appropriate for Aiden's aesthetic and then for just the challenge in general. So I really, really liked it. Um, but it made the the main challenge stuff all the worst. <laughs> all the worse for me. Um so yeah, no, I liked the I liked the bee ball the bee bee challenge the mini challenge well especially what what struck me is just how distinct all of their looks were and Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and the fact that they just do that you've got 20 minutes go and that so many of them came up with very different looks all drawing from very similar like materials to work with uh, i think it speaks well of these queens uh let's go over to the ball challenge did you have any standouts 
Um, you know, did you agree that Gigi was the winner? Was there a category you preferred? We had Lady Baller and then we had uh, Basketball Wife, uh, Realness, and then we had uh, Balls to the Wall, the the Crafting and Design Challenge. Because I know you usually enjoy those. Right. And I do. So I think that there's a couple of different things here. One, I'm liking that we're getting so many looks um, and that they had looks prepared for two of these, basically. Um, so I where I sort of struggled a little bit was the Basketball Wives one um, in which it was sometimes you could tell that the concept of a basketball wife, what that co- cultural concept is, which is heavily informed by the Bravo celebrity um, concept didn't necessarily come through a lot in some of the looks. And I need to start taking like actual notes when I watch the show so that I can like give you specific examples because we record this a week after the episode episode airs and I just almost all of it gets washed away for the most part um, through the rest of the week. So I need to start taking notes. But I think that that was something that was a little bit of a problem here, especially with the Basketball Wives. I think that the Lady Baller one generally worked really, really well. Um, Where I ran into the real issues was the balls, the balls, 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 balls um, aspect of one Aiden's like referee thing, which was completely unintentional, was very unfinished and um, just skates by. Um, but I, Kate, when has, when did a pineapple become a ball? Because I'm very confused Okay, about She had that. to use balls. She didn't have to right. look like a ball. Yeah, but everyone else did, like, at least incorporated a very clean sense of balls, I think. Um, sometimes to a detriment in Rockham's case, even though I really liked how Rockham approached that in terms of using cosplay techniques to sort of get ahead a little bit of the craft idea, which is very, very smart. Um, even if it was also just a little too much and then presented issues with the lip sync. And also, I don't think Rockham knew the lyrics very, very well. Um, but it's just, I just was like, I don't understand, I don't understand why you, why you went with a pineapple. And also, the layers are wrong. Mm -hmm. And also, it (laughs) It doesn't doesn't look look good. It doesn't look good. And like, the idea of the concept of, you just did the same thing twice in a row, sort of, basically, not gonna pass mustard. Especially when you've got a group of folks that are generally as well polished as this group is, even if someone like Nikki Dahl, who for me doesn't get the basketball wife realness, just kind of goes with a cosmopolitan upper class faux riche, riche look that works air quotes, but isn't right for that particular challenge, but still looks really, really good that you can get by. And I think that's sort of like where there's a lot less room to hide, I think, with this season than there have been even four episodes in. There's just very little room to hide. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, spoiler alert. The next episode, we have a top 11. And like they're already down to details to try mm-hmm. to like decide between queens. Um, and the judging is already like... Mm. You just have favorite people and you have people that you are going to put in the bottom because like the narratives 
through line you're going for this season, I guess. You know, like, yeah. it's already starting to feel arbitrary when they have a top 11. So, I mean, and really a top 10 because uh, Sherry Pie's been eliminated. But um, right, we got a long way to go. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's a, like I keep saying, it's a strong season. It's a very strong season. So I will look forward to your thoughts on the next episode, which is the acting challenge. And they do Gaze Anatomy, and it, it's it's super fun. So I look forward to your thoughts on that one. Um, I felt like Jada was robbed. I think Jada should have won. Um, I really liked her bubble bath look. Uh, did you uh, have any thoughts, any any farewell thoughts? I really enjoyed Rock Rock'em. I'm going to miss him. I am going to miss Rock'em as well. And I really liked Rock'em's discussion about... The makeup style, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really, really important uh, to sort of like provide a context to. So I really, really liked that. And yeah, I did like the bubble look as well, though. I kept thinking about all those all those sponges, Kate, <laughs> all those sponges and how we didn't like the sponges, but we like this. Because this so, is much, much chicer and much more better, much better done. Lies, no. lies. I stand by that. Okay, well that wraps up our weekend comedy and reality. So now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre and drama. This week in drama and genre, we're going to talk about Steven Universe Future, Mr. Universe, and Fragments. Then a few thoughts on Batwoman, Through the Looking Glass, and Supergirl, Alex in Wonderland. And we'll round things out with the Stumptown finale, All Hands on Decks. So first up is Steven Universe Future. And next week, obviously, we have the big four-part finale uh, for the series and just all Steven Universe, and you know, until they decide to do another one. Um, but... <laughs> Things are getting traumatic, and I thought these were very strong, but I don't even want to think about them that much because they're also, like, really dark <laughs> and yes. age-appropriate and Steven's journey-appropriate and well-done and everything, but – and necessary. This is, like, this is a necessary discussion and questions for him to be having and and things for him to be going through, but I would like, please, the, the ending – and a happy-ish ending, please. Please and thank you. <laughs> How did you feel about these? Right. No, all of this. Like in our rundown notes, I have all of this is very depressing. And I've already watched Homeworld Bound, which is the first part of the four-part uh, finale, which is available, I think, on video on demand uh, if you have like a cable provider um, or some sort of television provider. So you can watch that and be depressed by that as well, because it's also an unpleasant episode. Um, it's deeply scary in a lot of ways, um, especially in how they reconfigure one of the diamonds' powers. Um, but Mr. Universe and Fragments, I think, are both just real good build-ups to everything, or not build-ups, or really good culminations to everything that we've been building to 
in Steven Universe future. Um, from his re- response to this was Greg's life and he threw it all away and it was very stable. And yeah, sure, you had meatloaf every week, but you had meatloaf every week. Um, that kind of a thing down to the payoff of Jasper. Um, then the additional payoff of Jasper that we'll get at the start of um, Homeworld Bound is also just really, really good. And just, I'm very glad of how they seem like they were going to pivot to a redemption for Jasper and then make it much messier than that. Mm-hmm. And they make it messier through steven becoming very messy and of course of three days which is the one joke in all of this <laughs> that is just it's really very funny um so i think it's really i think both of these episodes are really really good in ways that i think some of the previous episodes don't quite work as well um because of like the kind of cathartic sensation that we get from both of them that aren't super apparent in the the preceding episodes so i really really like both of these but they are very depressing and i don't want to talk about them anymore (laughs) yeah they're they're really substantive in a way that was lacking in some of the other um episodes this season uh yeah so so i i would (laughs) i would like uh I'm hoping that I'm assuming we're going to get more of that in the next in the next yes. uh, chunk. So we will have more thoughts on that next week when we talk about the finale. Uh, for now, let's go over to Batwoman and through the looking glass. And we had a pretty eventful series of episodes here. What do you think about them officially making Kate a killer? Someone who has killed someone. And then our ending here. It was gut wrenching, um, but I thought well played. What did, what did you think? So one of the things I've been sort of struggling with with Batwoman is the ways in which they keep keeping Beth slash Alice out of prison (laughs) and how she keeps like working her way out or how the show keeps driving everyone sort of to work with her. Um, But like through the looking glass does such a good job of a making that really exciting and then b making the ending in which Kate basically tricks her into Arkham just really, really good. And it feels less of a plan than like when she got captured by the crows, um, like what, five episodes ago, six episodes ago, um, that it just, it, and it's gut wrenching because, uh, I can't remember the actresses, the woman who's playing Alice just, goes for it in a way that I feel that it seems as conclusive a ending termination to that relationship as it did earlier when they killed Catherine as like a breaking point. And so I think that the way in which that they make those breaks feel really clean and earned has surprised me with how effective they've been. And so I really, really like this. And as for Kate being someone who was killed... I'm actually kind of legitimately excited about this kind of a concept Uh, in part because I think that it speaks a lot to the paragon of courage sort of concept that has faded away just enough at this point uh, since it was still a concern immediately after crisis. 
But when I keep thinking about that, I keep thinking about how this sort of informs her place in the Arrowverse. And what does it mean for her to have been someone who has killed someone? And I'm really interested in the show grappling with that. And I'm hoping that it grapples with it and thinks about it more critically than Arrow was ever willing to do when they were sort of wavering back and forth between this idea of vengeance and justice and what all this means and the murkiness that they could never really dramatize but also make thematically rich even though they tried a lot in season one but it never really worked and i feel like batwoman hopefully in season two since it's already shut down production we're probably only going to get a couple more episodes really dives into that concept of what does this mean for kate because for me it's very exciting and it provides a lot of richness for her in relationship to the mantle of the bat since batman's whole thing is i don't kill people I beat the shit out of them, but I don't I don't kill them. Um, so what does that mean? And how does that work? And all this sort of stuff. So I'm really, really interested. I'm really curious about it. And I'm excited for what they're going to do going forward with all of this. How did the, all of this play for you? Because we haven't talked about this for a little while. And I basically watched 14, 15, and 16 all in a sitting, basically. Um, so the arc of these episodes really worked for me. But I'm curious about how you felt how how you felt about through the looking glass, but also sort of everything since really the crossover because we haven't talked about this in a little while. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it works really well, and it just it's so encouraging to for Batwoman to be the kind of show to make this choice in their first season. I think, um, especially this this point in their first season, is I I just think it's bold for this kind of a show to do. And I think it really works. Um, assuming they, that's assuming they follow through, like you were saying, right? Assuming they actually examine what it means. And I'm, I'm optimistic that they will, but you know, I've been wrong before. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see there. I, I think that the, that, that playing with the darkness kind of thing with Alice and Kate, uh, so far has worked, but I think it's also going to get tiresome pretty soon. So having her, uh, having Kate trap, Alice and Arkham um, and having, you know, that the thing that the thing that I was I'm most afraid of is 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 being left alone again. Um, and then, of course, twisting the knife, right? <laughs> pull into the audience and then twist it. <laughs> um, that's uh, just a really impactful final scene there. And not letting Kate fall back on I'm doing this. Because I'm a good person and she's a bad person and blah, blah. And obviously there's no comparison between these two. But muddying the water a little bit um, so that Kate has to examine her motivations and choices uh, more skeptically, I think, is smart and should pay dividends for their plotting and their characterization moving forward. So I don't know. We're, 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 we'll see. We'll see what they go. We'll see where they go with it. But um yeah, I think it's it's I've been impressed with these last few episodes. Yeah, even if maybe like the cases of the week haven't been particularly compelling um for the show, which has been a larger issue with Super sorry, not with Supergirl, though also with Supergirl. Uh but with Batwoman that the the villain of the week just hasn't been their most successful thing, but they've done everything else really well that they can slide by a little bit. And I'm hoping for next season they start 
focusing on what they want their villains of the week to kind of do and say. And I think that there's elements of that here, but I'm ready for them to really kind of buckle down and make those a little more, flesh those out a bit more. Yeah, I I agree. So we'll see what happens when and if we get more episodes. <laughs> Let's go yeah. over to Supergirl and Alex in Wonderland. And so here was my thoughts on this. Yes. Basically, this is all very, very stupid. Yes. Um, and also Kyler Lee is crushing it. Yes. And this storyline should have gone to Nia, but at least yeah. it's not nearly as bad as as I would have anticipated. They're doing a better job with this stuff than they have done with previous uh, material for, well, really any of the love interests. But, like, at, at least this part is better than I'm anticip- I expected it to be, but that's saying almost nothing. <laughs> so I am somewhat conflicted. Uh, yay, Alex getting more screen time. Boo, this being how they do it. Because, like, the notion of her being, think wanting to be Supergirl, I don't buy it for a second. So it doesn't feel in character even a little bit. So um, certainly not in this context. But, I mean, at least now she knows what it feels like to get hit with kryptonite in theory. Which that's <laughs> that's good. I don't know. Uh, what, what, what do you think about this? So I think all of this is really stupid. Uh, and I just, I, I'm so not compelled by anything that's happening. And I don't think the show knows what it's doing with... I. Let me rephrase that. It knows what it's doing. And I think it has like a concept of what they think Leviathan is doing with Obsidian's VR stuff. But it doesn't feel interesting. It doesn't feel meaningful. It doesn't feel like it's saying anything that I find compelling. Um, This idea of... I like this concept of escapism to sort of like in your dealing with something because goodness knows... I've been taking advantage of like just playing video games that require very little thought. Um, but at the same time, this idea of like entertaining ourselves to death is through VR feels also just aggressively nineties, but not in a fun, charming way. They're not adding anything to the mix that feels current. And it's very, very frustrating to see that down to the fact that, and I say this with the fact that I actually really love that they've done this because I really like the visual and the visual holds up. But the fact that they're doing this extended coma homage with the um, the Obsidian folks that are like locked in to the VR simulation uh, with for those of you who aren't aware, coma is a Robin Cook novel from like the late 70s, mid to late 70s. It got adapted into a very, very good movie uh, directed by Michael Crichton. Um, that has people suspended by wires, basically. Um, and like Westworld probably very purposefully stole that idea for their show in season one. But they, Supergirl uses that same sort of thing here, and it still just slaps, Kate. It looks great. Um, and it still looks really good in like the 1978 movie. Like, I really encourage you to watch it if you can get a hold of it because it's still a really great movie. And the visual of that and how they present that is just really gorgeous. And I really, really like it. And I like it here, but it feels really hollow here on Supergirl because it just doesn't 
mean anything. Like, because we don't, like, are they using them for batteries? Is this like a Matrix thing? Or what are they doing with it, basically, is my question. And it's just a hollow, like, signifier, really, until they tell us what's going on. And I think that that's sort of like the larger problem, that I don't know what's going on, but I also don't feel compelled by any of the answers. And everything's so scattered between the Q waves and the thing with Leviathan and all of these little pieces that don't still feel really disjointed. So, yeah, I mean, I buy that Alex wants to, like, just kind of punch things to let off some steam but I don't buy her just like almost getting too sucked in. Like that doesn't, that didn't work for me. So yeah. Yeah. I buy her um, wanting to punch things to let off steam. I don't buy her wanting people to call her Supergirl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a very different thing. Um, so, you know, well, I, th- th- there's too many characters and there's too many characters I don't care about. And, um, and each individually, I feel like Andrew is a perfect example where like when they've honed in on her and given her more things to do, more like storylines and depth, they've, I mean, I feel like, I feel like the actor's done a good job. They've, you know, made her more interesting, but then they zoom back out and I don't care. (laughs) And then like creepy lady with the, you know, who's on Leviathan also don't care. Like, I'm like, yes, that's a great visual. That's a, that's a successful, interesting, intriguing video. I still don't care about you or your evil plan. You know, yes. so, so they're just asking those visuals or those concepts to carry way more weight than they're gonna. So, yep, I'm not gonna miss this one when it goes on the hiatus. Um, however, I will miss Stumptown, which had its finale, season finale, still has not been renewed for season two. The finale is all hands on Dex, and Dex cares about the things that are happening in the last chunk of episodes and the last, specifically the, the two part finale. And because I enjoy the show and I really enjoy the performances, that's enough. But I was not all that engaged in anything in these last couple of episodes. I got to say, um, outside of the fact that, well, I'm on team decks and she cares. So let's do this. So maybe, maybe I'm very gray right now. <laughs> What did you think of this finale? I think that the finale kind of suffers from um, what happened with Castle sometimes, is that Castle sometimes went for something that was too big. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the Stumptown finale, with the emphasis on Benny as a whistleblower for this government cover-up, basically of members of his squad stealing millions of dollars in money, which all feels very Three Kings, um, except for Gulf War Two as opposed to Gulf War One. Um, that it feels too big for the show, despite the fact that it has that personal element to it. And so the degrees to which two of them are just in Portland or in the Portland area kind of stretches credibility for me. And it makes it a lot harder to feel invested in any of it. That being said, your point about the fact that Dex cares, and more importantly, the fact that Kobe Smulders sells the hell out of it, makes it work enough that I did I still enjoyed watching it. And so that's kind of where I end up with it, is that as a two-part case of the week sort of thing, it's not the best. But they do enough 
things, and by they, I very specifically mean Kobe Smulders, but also their music supervisor, do enough things to keep the finale chugging along and make it interesting. So it's fine, it's good, but I'm more interested in, like, who they're going to cast to play their mom, and that's what I'm interested in, more so than that and anything around the case of the week but i do really want to stress one particular thing is that even though we've had this sense of closure about benny's death here in this episode and that this was sort of like a driving trauma within the season i don't want the ptsd stuff to go away like it can't just be magically fixed because she got this knowledge-based closure because knowledge-based closure isn't the same as emotional closure closure in any way shape or form and i really really hope that provided the show gets a second season that that is acknowledged and that the her ptsd which we've seen is not directly tied to benny in all instances doesn't go away just because of this so i don't want it to be a ptsd cure wand that makes all of that go away because the ways in which the show has depicted ptsd i think are really important really good and i don't want that to get lost in this we fixed her sort of narrative because you haven't and you didn't so don't do it um but also don't ever address what gray's dad did because i don't give a fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah i also don't care about meeting uh their mom okay sure sure sure. like again i care that Ansel cares, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with their parents are scumbags by, I don't need there to be more complications or secret backstory or like, I don't need that. And, um, yeah, every time you have like the, oh, we don't talk about our parents. We're saving that for season two, you know, I, on a show. It's rare that I feel like the reveal was worth everything that comes with it. You know, like very few shows are alias. <laughs> very few yes. shows are going to make me like invest and really feel like they earned that or that the show needed that element. Um, so we'll see what they do with it. But I mean, I just I, I don't need any of that. Like, can we just be... Dex's version of Magnum P.I. Because I want to watch that. Oh, see, you want Magnum P.I. I want Rockford. Um, Rockford, that works too. Yeah, no, I think it's much more of a Rockford vibe. And I think that's what they should go for. Um, but we'll see. Um, one thing that we haven't discussed is Hoffman. Like, Hoffman like does a lot of like skating between the lines. And there's a <laughs> there's a there's a very real sense of he has to evaluate who he is as a police officer after all of this as a detective. And I'm interested in that because the police aspect of the show has not always worked for them, in part because they just don't know what to do with Cameron Mannheim, and that's a problem when you don't know what to do with Cameron Mannheim. So when she pops up in this episode in particular after just being gone for weeks... The ways in which that the show is obviously still trying to figure out some of its stuff, down to the fact that we now have Tookie working at Bad Alibi because not having him there was creating problems. That they need to figure out what to do with the police corner of the, of the show, but you still need a police contact because that's just bread and butter for PI stuff. 
but because of everything with Hoffman, it feels like you can't do that without some sort of toll. And this episode does a decent job of looking at that, and Michael Ely sells a lot of it really, really well, and kudos to him. But narratively, it still feels like it's in a little bit of a cul-de-sac. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, Michael Ely can sell a lot. Um, yes. But <sighs> I feel like there is a value in exploring the complications and the difficulties that arise from the central dynamics. And I also feel like a lot of the times sh- showed you don't need that. Just just do the thing well. Like yes. Just do the procedural well and ex- you know have some depth to your characters when you need them. But it's okay to be law and order. Is <laughs> kind of how I feel about it. Law and order when it's good is great. And I don't know why so few procedurals or show so few network shows are comfortable doing that it's like it's like the thing every time there's tcas where like well, i really thought of it as more of a 10-hour movie it's like no one wants to watch a 10-hour movie no one's like i think i'll sit down with my popcorn tonight and or go out to the theater and watch a movie for 10 hours no it's okay to just be the thing and just to do that really really well um so that's kind of where i'm at with hoffman yeah and i think that's a fair sort of read about everything so I- i'm with you on that so anyways, that uh, is our genre and drama discussion. So what wins your week in TV, Noel? So what wins my week in TV this week is Guy's Groceries Games, Kate. <laughs> um, season 23, episode 18, April Fool's Day. Um, this episode is really lovely because it's a tribute episode to one of their recurring judges and contestants, uh, celebrity chef contestants, Carl Ruiz who died last September or early October. And he had won Triple G nine times. He was the most winningest uh, contestant on the show, who also was, like I said, one of the celebrity judges and chefs that circulated on the show. So the entire episode is this big tribute episode to him they do the spiciest possible dish because he hated spicy food they do all his least favorite games um to honor him basically and it's just really delightful and they have all of their other celebrity judges um come on basically and compete and donations are made to his foundation and all this kind of stuff But it's just a really lovely um, both tribute episode, but it's also just a deeply funny episode of one of those that you can't really necessarily get without all the history that the show has accrued across 23 seasons that have been done in six years. (laughs) (laughs) It's so insane. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. So... If you've taken my recommendation from like a couple of months ago and just started mainlining Triple G... You have a treat waiting for you when you get to this episode, because it's a really lovely episode, and you get to see just how much they miss his, they miss him, especially Artis Aquaria, who like kind of like has to hold back breaking down into tears um as she describes the final dish that they she made, um which was a they had to take all the ingredients of a Cuban sandwich because he was Carl the Cuban Ruiz. And turn it into like a celebration dinner, 
um, type of thing. And she just gets really choked up uh, uh, talking about him and talking about her dish that she made. So it's just a really lovely episode that I that made a meant a lot for me as someone who's like mainlined this show across like three months. But also it was like the funniest, best celebration of life type of thing that I've I've had this week. And I kind of needed it. So mm-hmm. guys, groceries game wins my week in TV. What about you? <laughs> well, like the best episode I watched this week was, was, was Steven Universe Future, but it's depressing. So I'm going right. to shout, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna shout out <laughs> Top Chef All-Stars. I thought their tribute to Jonathan Gold was really lovely. And what it a beautiful was. thing to do. Um, and then I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> for Dolan because yeah. it was funny. And like you, like you, that's something I needed this week. So thank you to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, oh, and also Superstore was very funny too because carol's back um anyways uh more on that maybe next week but for now let's take a break and listen to a trailer and come back and talk star trek picard season one we'll be right back after this have you ever been a stranger to yourself many many times nearly two decades ago life for me these past few years i really tried to belong here but it never truly felt like home do you know who i am everything inside of me says that i'm safe with you admiral i have encountered a woman she came to me for help if she is who i think she is is in serious danger. Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten who you are. We do not. You can't do it alone. You need help. You need protection. You need a crew. Be the captain they remember. That was a trailer for season one of CBS All Access's Star Trek Picard. Uh, for those who do not know, you can now watch all of it for free. Um, promo code, I think, is GIFT. If you sign up for All Access, instead of buying, like paying for it, you can put in a promo code. And I think it's GIFT, but Google it if you aren't sure. And get all of this season um, to watch for free, uh, which I know will be very exciting to some, including my dad, who is very excited. But then we couldn't figure out how to get CBS All Access on his TV. Um because he has Xbox 360. It was a whole thing. 
So we're figuring that. Anyways, uh, we were very excited. At least I was very excited about the premiere and the beginning of the season. Uh, certainly, like the tone and the 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 look at Picard all these years later, and the show's willingness to play with the anticipation uh, and the expectations that come with the Federation as presented in TNG at the start of his career, and certainly where the character and the the universe is. The Federation certainly is at this point in his career all these years later. And for me, you know, I was just so excited about the start of the show. And then there's a reason we stopped talking about it <laughs> because I fell behind. And the reason I fell behind is that it kept, I kept seeing little glimpses of an interesting show and then it never captured that for me. And I, I want this show to be so much better that I think it, the first season at least ended up being um that's just such a shame because there is a really cool and a really great version of this show and it's just not this one and i'm hoping that if they are critical the 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 writers and the uh, the creatives the producers behind this are critical and you know, take a hard look at the season they can see which things really really worked um, and I'm going to throw uh, Rios and his holograms uh, out there. Uh, Seven of Nine. Jerry Ryan's great every time she shows up. Um, some of the stuff that they gave um, Picard to, to deal with. And the, some of the character beats there. And then they will just jettison all the stupid things that don't. And there's there's so many. I think if the, if the pilot or the premiere hadn't set my expectations, the bar so high i would be much stronger on the show overall but i just it was really disappointing for me uh where did you end up you know falling on on picard season one yeah i don't think that you should use your all access code to watch this um yeah i mean we were both very keen on the premiere i think it's a very strong premiere and i think it's a really sort of interesting concept of a premiere i think that as it continued on though it just steadily lost interest in thinking. And I think that that's part of the larger problem with Star Trek in terms of its current iteration on on all access specifically. Because I don't want to lump the, um, the current film franchise in with the all access approach that really sort of emphasizes action and explosions and... Wanting to not be Battlestar Galactica, but be Battlestar Galactica um, with Star Trek. Um, and also, as I've been, like, said when we first talked about Discovery, and that even continues to happen here, it also wants to be Mass Effect, the video game series Mass Effect. This Picard in particular feels very influenced by Mass Effect, and I just, I just, I just, it's weird. Um Anyway, yeah, it just there's there's a lack of interest and curiosity in this, particularly after it becomes really clear what their end game is in the finale. That there's they don't they don't take the time to want to say anything, and they do some nice things. I think in the finale, they give Data and Picard the send off that they didn't get a nemesis, and I really like that that scene. But that's all I can kind of point to because the rest of it's just kind of a lot of nonsense that I don't find interesting, that I don't think is compelling enough. And 
ultimately, I think that you can sum up the show's entire sort of mentality in its final scene in which we suddenly find that four of these characters have paired off without any sort of explanation, really. But that this is the thing, because we don't have a sense of how long time has passed. Presumably a fair bit has, I think, is fair to assume. But that they just kind of did that and kind of used it as a hook. And I just go, no, you just short you just decided to do this instead of doing the character work for it and that i think defines so much of this season is we just decided to do it as opposed to making the character stuff work and you really you can just point to jurati and the weird ways in which that character does horrible things and then just gets waved away because it's allison pill and we can get away with waving it away that it presents problems so I don't like it. I don't think it's particularly curious and I'm very frustrated by it. And I think that there's a lot of neat concepts here that the show, any, any other version of Star Trek would actually want to address the idea that Picard is now synthetic. And let's talk about that, except no, we don't have time because that's it. And it's just like, no, we should be talking about this should have been the crux of your show. This should have been the second half, really, of the season of. All right. Now let's deal with the fact that he's synthetic. And what does that mean for this 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 man in particular and his history? Wait until season two. And it's just like, I don't I don't think that you're going to do anything with it in season two. So I'm not going to watch. That's where I am. with this. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust you to do the work. Yeah. The the premiere and obviously, I mean, you, you take a character like uh, Picard and that immediately your expectations for Picard are going to be shaped by TNG. They have to be. I mean, so that's why you take that character from that show because you are you have a starting point. And you go from there. Um, the expectation around that character is that he is very thoughtful, even to a detriment, like, you know, even when it doesn't help the situation and actually endangers lives. And the fact that so little of this season has been about examining choices and, and, and really considering um, why they're at where they're at and what's going on uh, has made it particularly frustrating. Why do you make an action show centered around Jean-Luc Picard? I mean, like TNG was people sitting around in a waiting room debating what the right right what the right decision was and philosophy and and morality and like that's what the show was um and so to take that and instead okay but what if we take the center of that show um one of the you know most significant elements that contributed to the tone of that show and the priorities of that show and make it a, a conspiracy-based show with secret organizations and wheels within wheels and identity and uh, and we'll make it all of that as an excuse to just hang out with Picard and Data by the end. I just what a waste. I just I, it's, it's very it's very frustrating because a show that's curious about the long-term impacts and uh, of a character like Picard and when has it been successful and when has it been a vanity project on his part? You know, when is the pragmatic approach so much more important than the moral approach? There's so much there. There's so much that the show could examine and, and could really spend its time with. And instead it's like, let's 
follow the, the love interests of or like the love lives of characters we don't know very well and aren't invested in. And I don't think it was that the whole way through. But by the time that Girardi is randomly, vaguely, I, I guess, a love interest for Rios out of nowhere, you know, that's a that that the clearly became a priority. And then we have all this stuff with Soji. I don't think Soji ever materialized as an interesting or developed character. Um, and when you have, I mean, I don't like mystery box shows. I don't like impossible girl shows anymore. Moffat made sure I had no time and patience for that anymore <laughs> with how he handled who. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, I would say I, I'm not upset. I'm disappointed, but I am upset a little bit. <laughs> and I think it's reasonable to be upset um, that, I think that this point about being an action show around Picard is, a, like you said, it's a weird choice. Even if you think back to like the show in which the movie in which that this show takes its inciting incident from, which is Nemesis, and it is a show in which Picard drives a dune buggy <laughs> through a large chase sequence, and it's very weird um, that it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And like, I mean, I I very consistently joke that we were doing Logan, the, the X-Men film Logan, but with Picard this time. And that movie is both an action film that is more thoughtful than anything Picard deals out, which is just weird to me, given the fact they had 10 hours and just couldn't do anything with it. Um, and I think that your other point about the cabals and the wheels within wheels and the schemes and the conspiracy theory stuff is really the bigger problem here, because it's also something that you see in Discovery as well, um, at least within that first season. Again, I haven't watched the second season, so I don't know the, the degree to which that this is applicable to the second season. So I shouldn't be making sweeping statements like this, but that... The Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman sort of approach to Star Trek and Michael Chabon, who was one of the driving forces behind Picard, um, have both said that they've been updating Star Trek for the contemporary, for its current, for our current period. To which I, to which from Michael Chabon, that in particular feels really weird for me, considering some of his best fiction is looking back and thinking about things very grounded in a particular point in history. And then making them relevant to a contemporary society. And I think it's very weird to hear him say that about Star Trek. Um, but I think that the larger thing of all these conspiracy theories and all this stuff is that it loses tr loses track of a core of Star Trek. Of that humanism, that curiosity, and that, as you can attest... And have, like, a little bit when right before we stop talking about it, is that Deep Space Nine can do show, show you how you can do both. Of how you can talk about a more fractured concept of a federation, of a war, war footing, with both empathy and nuance, while still also being something that deals with the, deals with an, action sort of deal of war and but also as makes time for people to go on holodeck missions which we didn't get here um instead we got them playing dress up to go to that planet which was fun because picard's 
French accent is just so horrendously bad that I was just in love with it. Plus, we get Jerry Ryan shooting two blaster rifles, one in each hand like she's in Hot Fuzz. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm here for that stuff. But at the same time, I really want, like, a deeper consideration of the humanity of it. And what does all of this mean in terms of that the Federation isn't what it was? And what does that mean for Picard? And all this kind of stuff. And then just, again, the larger psychological aspects. This should have been your midpoint. Like, this finale should have been your midpoint finale. And then I would have just appreciated, like, five more episodes of Picard grappling with the fact that he's a synthetic life form again. And how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Well, are you going to be back for season two? Um, Probably not. Like, I'm just really frustrated. And the fact that all of this reminds me of the fact that now that this is done and I don't know when Good Fight starts back, I just need to cancel my all-access subscription <laughs> again until Good Fight comes back because... Yeah, I'm I'm done again, I think. So are you gonna be back? Well, I'm not sure. Uh it depends on how long it yeah. is. <laughs> how much time I have to forget. But um the reason I ask is because they've been very vocal about that there is a season two. And even like this there may be a sense that they're thinking of this as a midpoint yes. in and I I get frustrated when shows do that. It's like you have to earn that. Don't just assume I'm gonna come back for season two. It's very presumptuous. Um, And I feel like it's something you need to earn and they just haven't with a lot of their characters. However, there are some things that I like and I want to make sure to spend some time on that because I am very here for Rios until the stupid love interest thing that was stupid. Um, I also really enjoy Rafi. uh, Even if her uh, JP or JL thing is stupid um jl just doesn't run roll off the tongue so like the notion that she calls him jl is weird um but i like i really enjoy those two characters i like the the hollow characters all being the captain i like um some of the dynamics uh i like i liked our episode with Riker and troy i thought that that really earned their presence um certainly after everything that had happened at that point in this story having a familiar face come back i felt like they saved that for an appropriate moment um so i thought that episode was fun and like i said earlier i think some of the stuff with the borg was really effective just mostly around jerry ryan's performance Mm -hmm. and i i was i was i was so frustrated with their waste of hue yeah because they like that was very very stupid (laughs) yeah um so did you have any other elements you know or any of those elements that that did work for you no and i i think yes sorry yes i think like everything you said around rios and a lot of that just goes up to the performance is just really really good like across the board really really good um since he's playing six seven characters um so I really like Rios and I really like the holograms and I think that works really, really well. I like, but that's sort of where it ends. Like, it's just like, it's not, it's not as compelling as I would like it to be. Everything with the Borg I found really, really interesting, be, not only because of how tied that was to sort of, sort of the larger things around synthetics, but also the, what it means for Picard. And I think that that was something that got got lost in the shuffle again as well from all of that. So I was really interested in that. And I'm curious to see 
well, I'm curious to hear how all of that gets played out if Jerry Ryan like recurs a bit more next season because they're going to do ten more episodes, at least ten more episodes. So yeah, as soon as I heard that she was back for this, at least in some capacity, I was like, oh great, there's going to have to be Borg stuff, and what a wonderful opportunity. Those two characters have never been on screen together. They have such a unique thing. Like point, there's only so many people in the world of like all the Star shows, Trek. yeah, just like all of Star Trek who can relate on that level. Um, and neither character is someone who would just open up and talk about that stuff. So there must be an instigating incident that compels those two characters together. Oh, how fascinating could this be? And they're they're both obviously very talented performers. So they, if you give them material, they can deliver it. And then that like didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. And it was like, nope, we're going to make it about Data. I mean, and Data's great, and Brent Spiner's great, and don't get me wrong. But, like, that's, I felt like that story was already done. And then they just were like, Mm-mm, we're going to do it again. <laughs> we're going to do it again. Because we can. Why not? Um, the other characters I enjoyed uh, are the two, I forget their names, at the vineyard. I'm hoping they're oh, back. Oh, gosh. Man, I hope they're back, too. I need number oh. one to be back. Yeah, they're going to just, they're going to yell at Picard so much. And it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> he needs it, clearly. Oh, man. Well, any final thoughts on Star Trek Picard Season 1? Uh, or are we wrap, we're we, we calling it. We're calling it because um, the good fight starts in two weeks, so I'm not going to cancel my CBS All Access. <laughs> um, but they only they only got eight episodes finished. Kate, there's two episodes that they didn't get to finish because of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Knowing yeah. that, like, that, the Kings, that could be completely standalone, or that could be a really, really frustrating cliffhanger. So, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. Um, well, that wraps up this week's episode of The Televerse. A few show notes here. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like, like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. Uh, speaking of reviews, you can find my Drag Race reviews over at the AV Club and recaps, reviews, and a little bit of both. Um, and then, of course, you can see uh, find both of us talking about lucifer on weekdays for now next week at least uh and that'll be on zoom uh and just follow our social to you know keep track of all that and of course it'll be in your feed and then speaking of social we are both on twitter i am at the televerse noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great week kate thank you noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs) 